0: The following podcast is a production of City View Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. The following program is not ashamed of the gospel
1: and is about to tell you the truth. Because a lot of times it comes with the misconceptions about what urban is, because a lot of times we think urban is minority, it's inner city, it's these things, but really Urban and when I talk about new urban is both density and diversity. It is these worlds coming together and like addressing these issues. When I think about urban, I think about minority, majority, multi-ethnic spaces, right? When we think about this new urban, the way I define minority, majority, multi-ethnic, minority majority is formed in two ways. One. It is where the minority is the majority. A place like Atlanta. Atlanta, Georgia has 60% African Americans, and so the minority is the majority in that context. The other way is like minority-majority is a place like San Jose, where the largest population is Hispanic, but it's 17%. And then there's 15% Asian, 12% Anglo, and it goes on. So there is no true majority culture. Everyone is the minority. Sociologists tell us by the year 2042 that America will be a minority-majority country. And what that means is that we need to come and think about new ways that we are engaging with people in the city. And so I really think it's important for us to think about relationships when it comes to the idea of ministering in a minority-majority, multi-ethnic context. While America's moving to a minority-majority, multi-ethnic, we gotta recognize that the Bible is very fluent in speaking to these issues and addressing them in a lot of different ways. And so when we talk about this idea of ministering, we took a message that was homogeneous at at the beginning And then that made it multi-ethnic and that began to deal with and address the issues and that we can address it in a way where we can begin to strip our cultural preferences, our cultural nuances and begin to find where is the gospel center? at everything that we're doing and so I pray that as the world is becoming more minority-majority that we can leave kind of some of our homogeneous unit principles and move to a more multi-ethnic way of doing and engaging missions as missionaries. Keeping our
0: thinking challenged by God's truth is the focus of this podcast. We generate real answers from God's word and from the practical application of that word in everyday life. Thanks for joining us for the Thinking Out Loud podcast. Pastor Walt, I got a really really hard question for you, but I think it's important that we address it before we get into urban ministry, and that is, you know, the cities in America, our city included in Minneapolis-St. Paul, is in desperate straits. So as a churchman, as a statesman, how are you going to address it? How are you going to train the church in these desperate times to train them in desperate measures to reach them?
2: A very simple but complex answer is, we're going to go back to the Bible We're going to go back to the book of Acts. We're going to go back to authentic Christianity. We're going to continue as a church to move away from the commercialism, the programs, the projects, the goal of growing large. It just really amazes me how many times I hear a church say, our goal is to grow from 5,000 to 10,000. I say, that's fine. What's the purpose of that? Why do you want to do that? What is your ultimate goal? Is it for the glory of God or is it for the glory of your church? I just can't see, and maybe I'm wrong, I can't see putting those kinds of measurements on the church because there's such a poor gauge of what's exactly happening in the church.
0: But Pastor Walt, don't you think that we train our pastors that way? I mean, they go to seminary, Bible school, whatever, and it's sort of ingrained in them through the training of the professors and the materials. This is what you got to do. If you're going to get the the job done in preaching the gospel to the world, you got to grow.
2: Well, just in the last two weeks, two churches that have been around for a long time closed, and I was really shocked at one in particular— Churches are closing like crazy. We can't replant fast enough, and we're not coming to grips with the reality of where the church is at and how many people we've lost. COVID has wiped out churches, closed churches, because a lot of people just are not going back to church. People ask me all the time, what's your secret or why is your church growing? I think there are some particular reasons for that, like our love for one another, our community. We have a very, what we call a, a clear path for discipleship, so people know exactly the direction that we're going, but we really emphasize discipleship, becoming a follower of Jesus, becoming like Jesus. And the reality of all of this decline, these poor souls coming out of seminary, they're told that they're supposed to go and grow a church. And their first interview and every interview and in every church to follow is going to be, what are you going to do, pastor, to grow our church? And 90% of churches in the country are declining or stagnant. We're not coming to grips with reality. We look at these exceptions to the rule. And I'm still not convinced that these mega churches are reaching non believers i think they're scooping up people from smaller churches who like the goods and services and programs that they offer
0: yeah i think that's called transfer growth i think you're right overall i mean there are some you know genuine discipleship going on and people converts coming into the church but by by percentage they say it's about 85% of transfer growth in most of these places so your reality pastor Walt Mcfadden is is to stop some of the things that we've been doing in the church and get back to the book of Acts. So what are you expecting to find in the book of Acts that will change the direction and make Christianity for you and your community radical?
2: Well, we have a long way to go, but it's through community. We have life groups in our church, and they're not small groups. They're different. They're higher level of accountability, a higher level of intimacy most of them are men with men and women with women although we have mixed gender now for especially appealing to young couples and and couples that want to be together but we've really ramped up the idea of community together and we're saying this is about doing life together this should be your primary peer group and the people that you hang out outside of church and outside of even the life group one case in point last week i walked into one of the restaurants around our church, and then there's one of our women's life groups. They're celebrating one of the young gal's birthday. That kind of thing where you get close over time, and it, and it takes time. And that's not the incognito church that we have today where we, we don't want to bother you. We don't want to require anything of you. We don't we don't want to hold any, anyone accountable. People will respond to that if you step it up. They want a reason. I'm sure young people, I hear this from them all the time, What's the point of going and listening to a person talk every week? I can get that through TED Talk or YouTube or something like that. Well, it's the community that's missing. It's our love for one another. Jesus said, they will know that you are my disciples by your love for one another. And we think that uh, some kind of perfunctory greeting on Sunday morning, that makes fellowship. Fellowship in the, in the Greek is the word koinonia. It's participation. And we're holding our leaders to a higher level of accountability, and they were saying, now you need to transfer that on to the rest of the congregation. We we have to make these changes. It's not comfortable for people. They don't like to be pushed. They don't like to be held accountable. They do, in many cases, want to come in and out of the church. But there is a new generation which has its negatives and its positives, and one of the positives is they are hungry for mentorship and they are hungry for relationship.
0: One of your radical ideas or concepts is the word incarnational. Now that's a a word we've heard. It's kind of a theological word. The first time I heard it, Pastor Walt, was uh, in the Catholic Church, which has parishes, which is a a local geographical area where that church is responsible for, and they call it you know some kind of incarnational ministry. Is that what you mean when you talk about incarnation, that you must live in the city? Explain that.
2: I suppose as I Get older, I would say it's not that I must live in the city, but there's a tremendous advantage to that. And because our church has about two thirds of our people living in Minneapolis proper, there is an advantage. We live in our mission field. I guess that I would say that's the difference. It's not like so many of the churches which are depending on people to drive in. Of course, we have some people that drive in to church, a good number of them, but the heart and soul of the people that live in the community, and we understand and we experience, and we were affected by the George Floyd incident and the riots and the pandemic in a different way than people were in the suburban area. But I was taught that by Art Erickson from Urban Ventures and Chris McNair. They talked about how you should be living in the in the neighborhood and there's no question about it. Well, when I first got married, we were living in Eden Prairie, and that's a far cry from inner city Minneapolis. But after four years, we sold our home, we moved to rent a place in, on Bloomington Avenue, and then we moved into the church where I was serving for five years. The real decision came in the year 2000 when we decided to buy a home in the community. And two weeks after we moved in, there was a kid who was shot and killed on our block. And I thought, well, what have I done? <laughs> and I watched other people move into the neighborhood and move out right away. We had some folks that moved in and they were barely on the, our block for two months and they found a bullet in there bathtub and they were gone. They put that house right back on the market. But we knew that God had called us there. And so we've we've owned two houses and we've rented at two different places while we're in the city. And I think we're approaching 30 years now. But the reality of what we're facing is going to affect everywhere. Everywhere in our country, we're going to have people that look different than us. The concern for me is not just the inner city, but the rural areas as well, which are just absolutely devastated by meth. And we can't find pastors to pastor those. Nobody wants to go into a town of 2,000 and be in a church of 100 and 150 for the rest of their lives. We want to be in a suburban area where there's lots of people, but that's part of what's missing in the church.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and you're paid well too, right? Oh yeah, everybody
2: likes to get paid well.
0: Yeah, so what... Part of this radical or dangerous Christianity is the way that we are called to ministry. I mean, I know where you live. It takes a commitment and a calling to put your family in there because I don't know how many people would do that, Pastor Walt. There's yeah. got to be more than just, you know, inexpensive house or whatever the reason was, right?
2: Yeah, we bought this house seven and a half years ago, and I don't think we were prepared for how rough it was going to be. And we talk about it often. We talk about moving to a quieter place or a quieter neighborhood, but I feel a sense of call right now. I feel a sense of this is where God wants me to be. And it isn't the most pleasant place to Mm -hmm. live. We love our house and we love our neighbors, but there's a lot of decisions that the city make. And it's the reality of how do we for the first time in America, live in this post-Christian world where so many decisions, you scratch your head and we think, why are they allowing this? Why are they instituting this policy? And how can we still be respectful of the government and pray for them as the scriptures command us to do? I think that it helps us because the more different we are, the more we stick out, the more we stand out. I talked to one of my Somali neighbors. He says, I'm out of here. I'm moving. I can't take the noise anymore and the policies of the city. And there goes a good neighbor. I I don't understand that kind of stuff.
0: You know, I'm beginning to say that uh, we're different but we're also the same. And the same of that Somali leader. We had a house just four houses down that was riddled last, uh, well, just a few weeks ago with 17 bullet holes in it. And I go, do I really want to stay in this war zone called the city? I'm not sure. But Pastor Walt, you say something very interesting. You say that urban ministry is caught, not taught. Yet urban ministry is different You know, from you know other kinds of ministry because of the diverse people groups, the cons of drug addiction, the culture of an urban community is completely different than suburban or rural ministry. So, being caught means you are educated. Like I want to say, like on job training. I mean, how do you catch something without being somewhat trained?
2: Well, you got to take your lumps, and I took my lumps literally. There was a couple times I got knocked over the head a few times in the early days of ministry. Really? Oh, yeah. Some kid, he was choking his sister up on the bus. I was youth pastor for just a few years, and I was trying to get him calmed down. The next thing, I got knots on my head the next morning. And th- you know those are rough days. I was driving the bus around picking up kids on Crack Alley. That was the nickname of the street, where the church incidentally wound up. E- even so... I've just noticed I feel a lot more comfortable. I know people are petrified and people are saying, I never go into Minneapolis. Well, this is my home. Yes. And how, what do you think I do? I, I just navigate through life and I do have to keep my eyes open. And you cannot learn this stuff in a classroom, you have to experience it. And we hear these stories about missionaries going overseas. And they don't see a convert for 20 or 25 years. But then all of a sudden, things start to break through when the people there realize this person is not going anywhere. They're committed to me. They become one of us. They understand our culture. I, and I really wouldn't want to change or trade that experience for anything else. It's been good for my life, for my ministry, for my children. And I don't even, still don't understand why the term colorblind is taboo. But we trained our kids to be colorblind, and I have a daughter and a son who married people of color. And it's just natural to us that the, we're comfortable there. I don't worry about even though there's all this crime, I don't worry about it. And, and my wife says, you know, it's amazing. We, we have this bright white package up on our doorstep, and nobody comes up and grabs it. And I say, yeah, that's the Lord. The Lord is protecting us. We've never been broken into other than some guy went into our garage and stole something worthless one time. And here we are with a lot of, when we see on the crime apps, but you just learn to see like the Lord is with us. The Lord is honoring our faithfulness and honoring our our call. And we both, as husband and wife, struggle now that we're empty nesters. Do we really want to continue to stay here? And we think about, yeah, we've got a lot of church folks within just a couple of blocks that live by us, but you cannot teach this in a classroom. That's another thing that I would like to see change. I'd like to see how we train ministers. There's got to be more real world experience i'm teaching at a bible college here in the twin cities they train missionaries and they're in the classroom for two years and then they go overseas for 14 months Mm -hmm. i'd like to see more programs like that yeah
0: Well, I came through uh, Acceptable Seminary, and you know, there was only one class of all the, I think I took like 36 or 40 classes during that time to get my degree, and uh, I had one class, Pastor Walt, in urban ministry. That's all they offered. And when I went to my marriage and family class professor, I said to her, I said, is there anything here in this stuff for urban families? She goes, no. I said, why not? The research hasn't been done. So I didn't get a lot of help in terms of marriage and family for the urban community because it is a little different.
2: And let me add this. A lot of what is taught in seminaries is not real world experience. It's something that a person who hasn't been in that mission field for a while is teaching a lot of theory about diversity and multiculturalism. And I reject most of what is taught there. It's just a simple how we do church and what is the gospel and what is the kingdom jesus never ran away from anything because he was afraid but we do it all the time in the church and we think that it's normal and we make excuses for it i should never do anything out of fear i should always have faith i use wisdom and i use caution but those are some of the i'm just using that as an illustration some of the attitudes in the church have to change if we're going to succeed, and this is a problem all over the world. Cities are exploding at unprecedented rates. Mm-hmm. When we think about a city like Minneapolis of three and a half million, and then we go to Tokyo, which is probably going to top 30 million people, oh, it's, it's actually
0: more than that, it's 37 million. I just looked it oh, up. Oh,
2: that's crazy!
0: 37 million people, I right, mean, that's in Tokyo. 10
2: times the size. And it's less than 1% Christian, and we've got a missionary that we support there, and he's just slogging away trying to just gather a few believers together. We gotta open up our eyes to the city.
0: Well, and I think there's a, a little of that happening in urban ministry as well. You slug it out, and the, sometimes the converts you have, you know, may not be able to support the church, or there's so many issues in their lives that, I mean, that they're a work in progress, really. So you're kind of a missionary. And I would think people coming out of seminary or Bible school, they actually need to come under a guy like you who can share with them because there's a thing called street smarts. They don't teach you that, as you were saying, in the real world in seminary. You you don't get it. So how do you get it? You got to come underneath the tutorship of a senior person who understands it, just like a missionary. Mm -hmm.
2: I took a missions trip maybe 10 years ago to the Appalachian region. We're in this small little town and I'm walking through this neighborhood and we're inviting kids to go to our basketball camp and our skateboard camp. And I see these guys, these African-American guys, they're sitting out on the porch. And I just walk up and sit down on the porch and start talking to them. And then all of a sudden I realize these guys think I'm crazy. Like, what are you doing, white guy? (laughs) But it had become natural to Mm -hmm. me. It wasn't fearful to me at all.
0: Well, and I know that, you know, you you have a lot of young men that are working underneath you that you are mentoring, and they're understanding what street smarts is. Because sometimes people coming out of, say, suburban churches that come down to work with you, they aren't street smarts. And there's a lot of con artists on the streets. They're oftentimes drug addicts. They know how to con you. And so you've got to have enough wisdom and discernment to how to minister to these people. So, one of the other areas you say is needed to succeed in the urban ministry today is to focus on the communities within cities so what do you mean by that
2: every neighborhood is completely different then something can happen in my neighborhood and even five or six blocks away i have no clue what's going on there so what we're trying to do in our church is pastor our community. And one of my hopes and my goals is to strengthen other pastors in communities around the Twin Cities. So we get together right now, we have a prayer together, but we're trying to go deeper in fellowship beyond just a once a month meeting and talk about, you know, what's happening. But I'm trying my best to mentor some of these other pastors outside of City View and get us all to really think about shepherding our community. And that's an issue that I haven't really been able to wrap my brain around. How do we get past the idea of just meeting the felt needs, like handing out a Thanksgiving basket or having a reading program for kids? Those things are fine, they're good, they give us connections, but how do we really shepherd the community spiritually? And so many in our neighborhood are resistant to the gospel. They're really opposed to Christianity But we do our best to get out, to meet them, to talk to them. We're not in the business of just putting up a sign and having a slick website and hoping people come to church. We're trying our best to get out and and meet people. Here's another hopeful thing is that I find a lot of people are willing to not get everything that they want out of a church in order to be in a church in their community. It's becoming more and more important for people to, to be in a church in their own community, and I mean neighborhood, just a few blocks away, we have some families. We just when our when we were in our previous location, we had I counted one Sunday seven families walked to church, and then we had to move. And now recently, we had a family join our church, and we have some that ride their bikes. But we actually had a family walk a few blocks away and come to church. So we're making inroads. There are signs there that we're learning to shepherd our community and. I hear people say all the time, I know that church, I know that church, I know Mm -hmm. that church. Even if they're resistant to us, they know who we are.
0: Well, familiarity is very important, I think, in terms of relationships, and I think that's what the local you know, community church really does. So let me ask the hard question as we conclude today, Pastor Walt. How do you prepare an urban church for the challenges that they face that are right outside the church doors? Is there a time of developing DNA of churches that uh, want to minister, and how is that done? Because I know that most churches come together. It's like a silo. They come into the little silo and they worship and they praise the Lord. They hear a good sermon, they go out, never once thinking about the community in which they're located. So how do you change that DNA?
2: Well, one thing that we do is we have barbecue all summer long, but we set it up where we have tables and chairs and we have people kind of assigned to go out and sit down and have conversation with people. It's a small thing, but it's a lot different than just showing up to somebody's door and saying, here's some food, come over and visit us. And over time, a few of those people have started to attend City View. Mm -hmm. Uh, One guy, you know the guy I'm talking about, the one guy came in, he was really rough around the edges, and one day he just shows up and starts helping us with tables and chairs. And last summer, there was a group of ladies... Who started to help us about halfway through summer? They'd show up early and start helping with the tables and chairs. I don't know anything about them or their spiritual background, but I think I'm gonna I'm gonna tell them what I told this other guy. Like you be better be careful. Or you're gonna wind up here in the church, you know. <laughs> and joke.
0: he did. And he, he did, did show up. Yeah. Yep. And
2: he's there every Sunday now. That's something. And uh, he said the church saved my life. I was yeah. lonely. Mm-hmm. I was depressed. Mm-hmm. But it is that personal relationship. It's nothing fancy. We can't depend fully on our website. Sometimes we just have to be out there and have that mentality of Jesus that Jesus is always looking for the lost sheep. And this is our community and there's lost sheep in our community. And we have to be available and we have to be visible as much as we possibly can. And we also have a couple nights a week. We have outreach where people just go out in the neighborhood and pray for people and it's always exciting to hear the responses from that and there's been people who come to city view through that and i was thinking as my wife and i were back out in needon prairie at a mall And I'm thinking to myself, man, I told her, I said, this place is a lot more colorful than it was when we lived here. They better wake up and they better start shepherding their communities as well.
0: Oh, that's very important. Pastor Walt, you've been a breath of fresh air. I do know that you and I as pastors, as believers in Jesus Christ, we follow a guy who has given us lots of things to think about in his word. It's very radical and in many cases, it's very dangerous because his words will change people's lives. I think we've got to get that back into believers' and leaders' lives. That Look, this is not just another sermon to be a sermon. It is to change your life because that's how radical Jesus Christ really is, right?
2: Yeah, I was, I'll was. finish with this. I was listening to a little snippet of a Joe Rogan podcast. You know, Joe Rogan's got most popular podcast, And he says, you know, Christianity is just so easy to to make fun of and so easy to mock because they've got such bizarre beliefs. And I'm thinking, Joe, you just don't understand Christianity. You don't know it. But it also occurred to me, are we living out those those radical beliefs? That's that's the question. We say we believe that Jesus rose from the dead. We say that God became a man and it was incarnational. Are we living incarnational? That's That's the real question. Are we really, really living out the gospel?
0: Pastor Walt McFadden from City View Church, thanks for joining us today. Uh, As you always do, as you think out loud, tell us a little bit about City View on a weekend. How do people connect?
2: Yeah, we're on the corner of 31st Street and 4th Avenue South, South Minneapolis. Our service is at 10.30 on Sunday morning. We also have Spanish Bible study on Wednesdays at 6.30. Our website is in Spanish and English, cbcmpls.org.
0: We hope you enjoyed the podcast today, and please let us know your thoughts on our topic. We want to hear your feedback and your concerns as you think out loud. Please visit us at cvcmpls.org. That's cvcmpls.org.